don't don't respond to Warren. <laughs> Let him go to bed without us telling that we're not going to do a video. And welcome to the Down and From podcast. We are here joined together to talk about a movie called Annihilation. But first, we're going to start by introducing who we got tonight. Um, I'm the mouth of South Bryland I'll be hosting tonight. But immediately to my left is the man that makes music wonderful, makes our music wonderful as well. The Shredder, Mike Blewett, how are you doing this evening? Oh, fantastic, Browland. Uh, really just great A day, great A week. Nice. And what you been uh, sipping on? Awkward pause over. Uh, so I've been sipping on <laughs> more of the Sierra Nevada IPA pack that I got. Um, this one has the coffee, which I think, based on the amount of output that we've had, um, I had last time. It's great. Um, I will say this. I also watched When We First Met, starring Adam Devine and Alexandria Daddario. Ooh. And that movie was hot trash. She's not bad looking. She's, oh, no. She's, she's certainly not bad looking. Uh, the it, movie was not great to look at, though, or listen to. Um, <laughs> Is it Adam Devine or Adam Levine? No, Levine's the singer from Maroon 5. So Levine is another totally different person. Yeah, he's like the guy from Workaholics. Um, I will say this, that in the first five minutes, I looked at uh, Caroline, friend of the show, we were watching it together, um, and go, uh, so he's going to end up with this person. Uh, And then about halfway through the movie, she goes, I hate you, you're right. And then at the end of the movie, I was right. Uh, so it was completely and utterly predictable. Uh, the jokes were okay. Um, and it was a romantic comedy, so I just hate those movies to begin with. I don't know why I watched it. I literally saw Adam Devane's uh, dumb face. He has a dumb, punchable face that I find very funny. Um, and that's why we clicked on it. No other reason. I wouldn't recommend awesome. it. Go watch anything else. Except for yeah. Cloverfield Paradox. <laughs> Which well, I've now seen eight times. <laughs> what? <laughs> I can't stop watching it. It's I don't know why. I think my body got shifted with somebody who has poor taste in films after I watched that movie. <laughs> now I can't stop watching it. And that wonderful voice you hear. Uh, if there was a beautiful lip contest, he might come in second to the Shredder. But Michael Moreno, Mr. Mocha Mike. So you, you have him over Warren? Uh, I don't. Warren doesn't have big lips, does he? It's I've not never noticed. About size. See, it's not fair though because like Blewett's lips shouldn't be big, and that's why he looks particularly striking. <laughs> <laughs> they should be. They should be very thin, mayo-y lips. But I don't you know do, what you do a double taking like mm. mayo lips. Let's see if that makes it to the cutting room floor. Hey, everybody! <laughs> uh, glad to be here. Glad to join you all tonight. I'm very excited to chat about uh, this sci-fi film by Alex Garland, Annihilation. Um, As for what I've been watching and drinking, I was very excited when Last Week Tonight came back um, last week. Uh, That show is awesome. John Oliver 
is a national treasure, um, even though he is an import. Um, and I'm really excited that he's back in here because so much stuff has gone on in U.S. politics alone, let alone global politics, since the show went on its mid-season break. And I really uh, rely on that show as an end-of-week sort of uh, detox <laughs> after the, after paying attention to events on Twitter. Um, for what I'm drinking, I've got here something new that I, at least I think it's new. I saw it when I was out beer shopping today, but it's called Corona Familiar. Um, it's something from from Corona. It's obviously I get the sense from tasting it that it's sort of like Corona's taste on a lager. It sort of tastes like if Bud Light is or if Coors Light is like the the drunk frat boy that parties on the weekends. Corona familiar familiar is like that frat boy after he gets out of college, like wearing a tie and trying to be an adult, going to a job that he hates. Um, that's what the flavor profile is like. Also, <laughs> like all of us. <laughs> pretty much except i know for a fact none of us wear ties <laughs> um but yeah it's uh it's not too bad i'm enjoying it i'm mixing it with some wine that my roommate gave me for our dinner so uh i may be a bit twisted by the time we get halfway through this but that is sort of like the way the movie annihilation flows anyway so it kind of works out awesome well thanks for joining us this evening and lastly we have none other than the number one fan of star wars the Force Awakens. Guillermo, <laughs> how's it going this evening? Doing all right. Just got from home from work. Uh, and I'm just hanging out with you guys. I'm not drinking anything other than uh, delicious Cambridge water. Um, but just needed to uh, rehydrate a little bit before what I hope is not going to be a long talk. But I think it probably will. It'll be interesting. You've been uh, watching anything recently? Nah, I've been very uh, media less in the last few weeks. Um, I'm just keeping it light, doing, trying to plow through uh, X Files, see if I can get to the newest seasons, and then uh, have a talk with you, see if you, if I feel the same way as you do. Which I'm pretty sure I will, because I mean, at, at the end of the day, it's like what, 10, 12 seasons now. It, yeah, it's, it's hard to keep it up, you know. Right yeah, it's hard to keep it up. So I'm like. Pretty sure I'm gonna probably, you know, like coincide with what you're saying. But so far, so good. I mean, I'm on season four. It it holds up unbelievably well. Yeah, that's, um, a, that's what I always wondered was. I mean, is this something that you can actually go back and watch? Oh yeah, feel absolutely. This sort of the '90s of it, because that was my number one TV show by a mile growing up. And it no, it it still holds up. It definitely holds up. I haven't seen the movies, though. I don't know how good those are. The first one's solid. The second one's not that good. So first one is after season five. So I still have like two seasons to go and see it. Yeah, but I'd, I'd definitely watch at least that first movie. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But yeah, other than that, just pretty much media-less. Awesome. Well, I am the mouth of the South Island. And what, I've been, what I'm drinking on tonight... Hold on a second. Let me do it. Ooh, Ooh baby. The price is on the can. Arizona iced tea. The green tea, which is their best flavor. False. I'm going to stay... <laughs> False. Uh, I'm going to stay rejuvenated tonight, which is good. Nothing tastes better than the man himself, Arnold Palmer. I was about mm, to say agreed, exfoliated, agreed. but I don't think tea exfoliates you. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, what I watched recently was I checked out the live-action Full Metal Alchemist movie. 
And I've watched about the first half of the first season of Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. And uh, I would have to say the movie is something that there's you got to you got to give it credit for the putting the effort (laughs) or just trying to put something out there in a live action sense. But it does show like I mean, it is like have you ever seen things like Cashern or uh, other like very Japanese produced live action flicks? It's got that weird cheesy CG to it. That kind of fits into the world. And they have, I mean, just effects that are not going to be a par with a regular theatrical movie and terrible acting. And it's a bad movie, but there's still (laughs) interesting concepts, just like any type of anime that are here. Like the whole idea of an alchemist where it's like a magician with science backing him up. I think that's a really cool idea that I hope they explore even further in the anime. Uh, and, but they had some odd things in it. Like there's a random old guy that just walks into frames like every 20 minutes just to say like, y'all are all wrong. This is the right thing to do. And then he walks away and I never understood what he was, what he was, uh, there. And, uh, I would say the weirdest thing about this movie plus the anime series is it's kind of weird trying to root for people that work for a fascist government. And yeah. I hope that the anime goes further into that just to see like, why is this government set up the way it is? And is there a reason to actually root for this, fa- this style of fascism they have going on? So it's an interesting viewing, but I wouldn't say it's for everybody though. I'm looking forward to talking to you in detail about your thoughts uh, once you get through the end of the of Brotherhood. It's a pretty complex story that evolves well on its own. Some of the points that you're making are worth noting now. Yeah, like right now, I feel like it's a solid anime. I, it's not something that's hooking me directly, like something like Sword Art Online did or Robin One Half or anything I've watched in the past. But in like, yeah, this is like. If you're if you imagine like if an everyday person imagine the word anime, Full Metal Alchemist is probably what's going to be popping in their head. It's definitely has some solid action and some really cool, interesting ideas flowing through it. But we're going to be talking about the new sci-fi film Annihilation from Alex Garland, starring Natalie Portman, Oscar Isaac, Tessa Thompson, and Jenny Rodriguez. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to take this quick short break, and we'll be right back. go ahead and we're going to jump into our review of Annihilation, written and directed by Alex Garland, and starring Natalie Portman, Jennifer Jason Lee, Tessa Thompson, Oscar Isaac. A lot of cool people in this movie. 
So we're going to first start off by just talking about what our overall impressions are of the film. Uh, Mr. Blewett, how about you start us off, sir? Yeah, I got a couple things here. Uh, overall impressions, uh, Oscar Isaacs got wasted again. Um, I felt that for someone of his caliber, he was not in this enough. Um, and he also had to play that like emotionally distant character for half the time, which I don't think plays to his his strengths and as an actor because I think he's a he's a brilliant actor and I, I it almost didn't matter that I was him in this movie. Um, yeah, I mean, it, literally half of the movie he's comatose in some yeah, way. Yeah. On the flip side, I think Tessa was perfectly used. Um, she like really played that kind of meek role. Um, then at the end, she like kind of really found her, her place in that garden. Um, and so she, she went full Korg, if you will. Uh, sorry, I had to throw in that reference. As soon as I heard meek, I was like, got to put that one in. Um, yeah, I really think that her walking away while the flowers were like subtly growing from her arms was like, Ah, spoiler alert. uh, yeah, no, we're we're good. Spoilers. If you made it past, if you <laughs> made it past the, the film, <laughs> I haven't. No, no, no. <laughs> if you made it past the marimba, you know, you know what that marimba means. Oh, oh, baby. Yeah. yeah. Um, I thought she was used perfectly. As we were talking, I think Brylin, to steal your thunder on this one, um, she is one leading lady role away from being a huge name in Hollywood. Like she, yeah. she is so unbelievably close to that, and. Like realistically, like I hope it happens. She is brilliant in pretty much every role we get her in. Um, yeah, I mean, you've seen her as like a very bohemian, down to earth person, and like Creed, you've seen her as the tough, uh, the tough warrior in Thor, and now she's like playing someone like I would say, like if you saw Shuri as like outwardly very nerdy, this is like your introverted nerd. That I thought she brought to the screen super well. Well, I would say a physicist. Valkyrie wasn't like a one-dimensional warrior person. Like she, in oh, the no. the screen time she got was was had depth there. Um, yeah. Again, I th- and I'm just saying Tessa Thompson. She's a chameleon. She can right. blend right. into these different type of characters really. And well. she's she's one more. She's a leading role away from being very bankable. Um. I thought the biggest thing for me was that I I loved, at least before the other things we're going to talk about with this movie, I love the ambiguity in this film. And I, I did like how they kept on going back to the scientific method, where they would hypothesize something about a situation, whether it was something as simple as a college class or a relationship or between people, or what made the shimmer a, a thing, they would test it out, they would analyze the results, and then they would repeat. And I, I thought that was, like, for someone, you know, uh, Ma Blewett, uh, what is currently a scientist, um, she's preached this pretty much since the day that I've been born. Um, it was really cool to see it in motion, where, like, characters could be wrong analyze data and come up with a, a cleaner solution um i thought i really love that and because i think it speaks to a broader sense where um specifically with like in this case with cancer research but a lot of our problems as a planet 
are not very easily solved, where we have to try something, um, notate the results, and then update what we try afterwards. And so I don't think it. This was a, like a grand like political commentary movie, you know, as like you know, Black Panther might have been. But um, there definitely was a little bit of that in this movie. As one last little general note, I thought that the the humanoid reflection in the like finale was incredible. And we're going to talk about the finale later. Like I that's fine. We're going to I think we're going to get to that more in depth. I would just like to specifically point out one of the students from earlier in the film played the humanoid. Apparently she's like this big grade A ballerina or something. That's at least her, what her IMDb page said. Um, and that sort of synchronization between two characters, it looked like a ballet set. Like it didn't look like a an action movie, you know. Um, and that was brilliantly done. The hardest thing in the world is to get two people to synchronize between themselves in anything, you know, uh, whether it's music or, uh, which is something I'm pretty passionate about. It's hard to get two people to play in perfect rhythms without like digitally editing them. Um, it is that much harder to get two people to synchronize like their body movements. And I love the subtle differences between the two. And I think that's really got to be pointed out that that's, that's a, a Herculean task to get to do- get done. Yeah. I bet the choreographer got paid on this movie. I thought it was CGI. No, she played, she, the, literally you look at the credits, it's like seven people in this movie. And one of them is like stu- this, uh, I think she's Japanese, but like student slash humanoid. And she played both of them. Wow. Yeah, yeah, right? Well, you could tell, because, again, going back to the ballet, the reason I said ballet was that, like, the humanoid moved like a ballet dancer. As someone who's seen three ballets in my entire life, like, I can <laughs> I can fairly confidently, with little experience, tell you that that, that, move, that person moved like a ballet dancer. Yeah, and, and I, I think she might have been also the robot that danced with Oscar Isaac and Ex Machina. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you for your uh, input, uh, Mike. Uh, Guillermo, what are some of your thoughts on Annihilation? Um, I walking out, I felt either incredibly dumb because I did not understand what happened. Um, like I didn't have like the intellectual horsepower to understand it, or the movie just sucked. So I'm like, what? Which one of the two it is? Like, there's something. I'm pretty sure the the truth is in the middle. Um, it is. It is a very very cool experience. I just don't know if it's a movie for everybody. Um, what What really sucks is that being a fan of his writing of Alex Garland's writing, especially his last movie Ex Machina. You you can't help but to compare it to that, and I feel like 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 that might be unfair. So if he watched that movie first, like if you if you watch, if he would have done this movie first and then Ex Machina, I think this movie would have been a little bit more strong, um, because you will see like oh he's developing a style and the the at that point he like. The culmination was Ex Machina, um, so I don't I don't know how I feel about that. Um, 
it, it's almost like there's not a lot to like, but there's not a lot to hate. Like, I just don't know. It's it's kind of like what Mike was saying. It's so ambiguous that you just don't know. Um, the uh, I, I There's a thing that I don't like about movies lately, which is that you have to see it a couple of times in order to get it. Um, I, I rather have a movie that I that I got excited that I didn't get it and then watch it again to like build up on that. But watching a movie multiple times in order to get it, I, I'm not a huge fan of that. Um, yeah. and it's not like this movie was like crammed full of stuff. It was more of like it was showing you things, but it was kind of not able to comprehend immediately. It then. wasn't. And then what sucks was that he he writes really good movies that have uh, that on that that underlying tone, you can very easily relate it to the what's happening. So you you get the movie at a level of what the actual story is about, and then he throws you the wink, wink, nudge, nudge. This is what the the like what that movie is actually about, and you can see it. In this one, I'm like, I don't. So so the main storyline ish is about literally annihilation. So it's how we are all predisposed to. Uh, destroy ourselves, 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 and all this. And in the end, it's almost like the willing to live is what's made you survive. So then, are, are you predisposed to live, or can you stop that by having the willing, to, the willingness to live? Like I just don't, I just don't know. Like I, I really don't know. Cool. And that's, I, I mean, and I walked out of it, and I, I was. I went to see it with my wife and we both went, well, that was a movie. And then we yeah. just didn't know what to talk about, you know? Yeah. I mean, I kind of had similar feelings coming out of this movie as well. Uh, but before I get into what I'm going to say, I'm going to let Mocha chime in on here. His, some of his overall impressions on the movie. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear all you guys give your different takes on it, um, especially you, Guillermo, because I feel like um, I heard that sentiment a lot from a lot of my own friends and colleagues that I spoke to about it where they felt like it was a bit more dense or at least it was it was less clear cut than they than they wanted it to be in order for them to walk out of the movie feeling com comfortable about it um but for me that was one of my favorite things about this film um it's not often that we get these days um a sci-fi movie made in this in the vein of what you used to see a lot in like the 70s and 80s where it's a sci-fi film with some pretty, with, that doesn't hold your hand and doesn't go out of its way to explain what's going on with the mystery, but rather lets the mystery be an interesting backdrop for having a deeper conversation about um, what it means to be uh, human and what we, what we have shared through the human experience. Um, this film, in my opinion, was not about an alien invasion. Like The shimmer was the setting, the backdrop, and it was important because it was the superficial driving motive for all these characters. But really what this was about is what, um, what does, does self-destruction look like for an individual? And how do, how do we as humans cope with loss, sometimes success, um, and all these different ways and how, how we interact with that unconsciously? Um, and I feel like that's what the shimmer did. The shimmer Yes, it crossed, uh, it refracted DNA and created all these kind of whimsical and sometimes terrifying um, biological events. But what it also did was was sort of manifest the underlying um, the underlying thoughts that each character had, the underlying um, unconscious self-destruction that they had going on in their hearts. Um, 
you know, whether that be Tessa Thompson's character who was suicidal or at the very least, um, you know, self like self harming most of her life, who winds up becoming a plant after discovering that that's an option in this world and realizing that that's the way out that she's always wanted. She's never been able to kill herself with harshness. She's cut herself many times. We can see that on her arms. But doing, but leaving this this world and this plane of existence in a peaceful manner by becoming a plant, once she saw it was an option, became her her unconscious desire, and it manifested. Um, we saw that with the yeah the molecular refraction in this movie is visually phenomenal and as well as like just fucks with your mind so much. Like uh-huh. you have things like the bear, and when you have the bear screaming help me with shepherd's voice and everything i was like oh i mean that's the most unsettling thing i've ever felt in my life but also at the same time i was like oh that's really fucking cool that this dna is just blending together and now it can actually talk just like uh, she did but there's also some very subtle things that happen too that are just as unnerving like all the time you're seeing natalie portman being uh interrogated about what happened and you see Gina Rodriguez tattoo on her arm. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh, shit. Once I realized it's Gina Rodriguez that has the tattoo on her arm. And then Natalie Portman ends up with it. I was like, to come back and not be the same person you were before. That's, I mean, on a genetic level, that's a very unnerving so thing. I took What's it- also interesting about that tattoo was that um, it was also originally on the body of the soldier who had the, um, yep. the coiling intestines because yep. when they showed his broken body on the wall, yep. he had that Ouroboros tattoo and then it yep. appeared on Gina Rodriguez's arm later on. And then on Natalie Portman's at the very end. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Blue, you were going to say something. Yeah. So I just, I just looked it up cause uh, I like, I like resources, but uh, um, the secondary definition for refract means to uh, distort. Um, which I think this did where I, the obvious metaphor is that like reality kind of breaks down. It all starts to become the same, you know, it all gets mushed together and you can't see the, the actual subject. Um, what I took it as though, uh, based on the Pink Floyd dark side of the moon cover is to break down to simplest terms. And I think that's really what you see that like these characters gain depth by becoming simpler like they had that great boating scene with uh was it Cass that was her name mm-hmm. um yeah shepherd 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 yeah so where she was uh saying like hey we're all damaged this is our primary driving resource and that played off through pretty much that drove the interactions for pretty much the rest of the film um and I think it was a really cool character experience where if you refract and break down to simplest terms, these, these different people, you got to see how they all kind of interacted together and then, well, to go back together, you know, like bend it into each other. If you reverse it and then say, Hey, like each of these unique people opposite of refract back into one set thing. This is literally all Dark Side of the Moon album cover. Just look at that from like nine different ways. It goes um, back into the white light. Into the white light. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, yeah. I promise I don't do drugs. This is this is all coming. <laughs> well, it's it's I'm glad that you mentioned the boat scene because that's another like that scene 
was one of the other telling moments about how this movie is about about people and how they deal with trauma more so than it is about an alien invasion. Because <clears throat> in that scene, Shepard is talking about how everyone is, as you mentioned, damaged in their own ways. And Natalie Portman's character, Lena, asks her about herself. And she tells her, well, you know, my unfortunately, my, my daughter died. And the thing that people don't really talk about when it comes to the death of a child is that there are two deaths. There's the death of the child and then the death of the person that you were because you can never get back to who that was. And and then you see later on the same character, um, Shepard, the way she winds up dying is that she sacrifices herself to, in a, in a sense, while pr- trying to protect the others when the bear first arrives, and it's, which is probably something that she had always wanted for her daughter. I'm sure that character, if she could have given up her own life to save her, give her daughter even another day alive, she would have. And you get to see these really kind of underlying tones come out in different ways and not always really obviously. But I think good sci-fi does that. It it gives you something fantastical to kind of latch onto while talking about really simple or really much more basic and fundamental um, aspects of humanity. Um, it wasn't perfect. I really wish that we got more of Kane's downward spiral. Like you mentioned uh, earlier, I think it was, it was you blew it, um, that Oscar Isaac was really underutilized in this film. And I think that could have been really answered like, easily if we maybe had Lena take one of those, the, take that tape that they originally found, or rather the SD card, and maybe in the evenings when she's by herself, she watches more and more scenes of Kane's like, like journey or his, like, his freak out. Um, because we essentially got a flashback when they were in bed together and Kane was perfectly normal. Then we find out he went into the woods, and the first thing we see is him like wild-eyed, cutting up his, open his friend and playing with the, with the guts as they spin around in a coil. And that's a pretty big leap. And then the very next time we see him again after that is in the ending when he is having his mental breakdown with his doppelganger saying, like, I don't know who I am. Am I you? Are you me? I, I can't I can't live like this anymore, but I need you to find Lena when you get out of here. Like, that was a really compelling um, that could have been a compelling character arc that might have given us a bit more insight into just what it was like in the Shimmer. And I feel like they missed a beat in not giving us more examples of his decline. Yeah, because Lena didn't have quite the same. Like, she seemed level-headed almost throughout the whole thing. And and it's... We want to see our characters change. I, I, like... I think she was a well-written and well-directed, well-acted character. Like, I don't have any problem with her, but I think uh, Kane had the bigger arc, like you said, Mocha. And I think seeing more of that would have made a stronger case on, like, how this really affects people. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he became the mystery. So he was what Lena was searching for. Right. Or, that's or, why you're kind of more invested in him rather than Lena. And Lena, like, has come back, and she has these human things. Yeah, she cheated on her husband. She doesn't know where her husband is. Um, she's had military service before, but is in academics, and is kind of like, the, has this other uh, peer that's kind of wanting to muscle in on her territory and be in this relationship with her and she doesn't want to have a part of that even though they've had a relationship in the past that was the most unconsequential thing in this entire movie and i don't know why that was part of it it literally didn't make a difference at all i think it was a matter for what's going to motivate lena to actually go after kane if she's already cheated on him why is he still important to her? And why does he care for him as well? 
that's yeah. the that's what I would get from that. Uh, and it's um, and it's uh, really interesting just to see uh, how she approaches different situations as well. Like uh, Gina Rodriguez, like apparently just randomly like stealing her locket <laughs> out of nowhere. I thought that was kind of a weird moment. Um, I would actually replace that moment with like a like Gina Rodriguez got a refractive memory of Lena and actually figured out who Kane was just by a memory. I thought that would have been a really cool way to play it off. Uh, but um, having her like the struggle between like what she wants in life versus who she actually is, I mean, it leads to an interesting point in this movie. Yeah, I agree. Um, and we saw that with, and you know, we, we see that that sort of same motivational aspect like leading into the deaths of all the other characters, you know, with um, Ventress, the leader of the group, she, the reason she and Lena make it to the lighthouse are because those two are the only one who actually, ones who actually had an internal desire to get to the lighthouse. But their experiences at the lighthouse are different. Ventress wanted to get to the lighthouse so that she could at least get a sense of what else could be out there in this world before she died, which is why she never really encounters the alien. Instead, the alien becomes part of her and uses her body as like sort of like a catalyst to embark on a new change. Whereas Lena needed an answer to what happened to Kane. And she gets that answer in the form of encountering the alien. Um, you know, she was the only one who needed to get out alive. And that's the kind of they kind of lead into that as being the reason why she survived. So I think it's really interesting to play with the idea of, you know, how these inner unconscious thoughts for individuals get manifested by the shimmer as it also refracts their DNA and their, 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 their bodies and their memories and so on. Um, this is a weird side note, but do you guys have those thoughts when you're like, everything is going well and you see like, like almost deviate from plan to just spice things up or mess it up or, or like try to like, not self-destruct, but like, like mess up a good situation. I've had. A, I mean, I would say I've had moments like that before. Yeah, I think it's not on purpose. Definitely, like, like four minutes. minutes later, I'm like, e. <laughs> yeah. What am yeah, I doing? Got it. <laughs> yeah. I usually right. got more from from pro- being not lazy, but almost like procrastinating to a point where I will mess up something for myself. Mm-hmm. And then looking looking at myself, saying, "Why are you not like you need to do this? Like this is good for you." Every single time I've had one more shot when I already knew I was pretty blasted is one of those self destructive yeah. moments where I, it's not about having fun. I just want to ruin my life really quick. Like, <laughs> so let me take like water point. now. I would can handle it type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean the, the the movie is great because it has those themes. I just for me it was it was it was more like what they were presenting to you in the world of or what the world meant was a little bit detached from the actual story. So it's like the input of those ideas and the input of that world and what it actually meant wasn't progressing as the story was progressing. So it's not like you're uncovering through a scene or through a conversation, you will uncover a new part of the world. Like pretty early on, you could see all those themes going on. And then you should see how the people reacted to those rules that they already set for the world. 
rather than as you were learning something new, you will get a new idea. Um, so I just don't know. It's one of those things where I like I get it. I just don't know how to like mix them together. That's and a fair I don't know if and I don't know if it was meant to be separated because we're running with this idea of ref, like refraction and separation and and one thing can turn to another and all these things, you know, so it's is is he being really, really smart or is it just me needing a second viewing or maybe like. Yeah. You know, is like this, it's, it's is weird. this Alex Garland's mother? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, God. Well, I, I, I see what you're saying, Guillermo. I totally do. And I think that for people who didn't enjoy the film for that reason, um, that's fair because this type of speculative science fiction isn't really for everyone. It's part yeah. of the reason why, like, like nerds are nerds and like it's not like mainstream accepted because it doesn't suit everybody. But I really think that the the shimmer and everything going on inside it was never meant to be explained. Because the whole notion of it being alien is that it's un like un understand not understandable. Um, you can't commu- you can't communicate with the with the she or rather Lena can't communicate with the doppelganger. Um, there's no way to get a sense for like she says she says That's, I don't even know if this has wants I don't know if it has motivations. It's just so foreign that you can't understand it, and that is deeply unsettling and adds to a lot of the the. Um, disturbing quality of this film, what, but I also think that's meant to be the case for the for the science fiction aspect of the film as a whole. It's not meant to be understood. It's just a thing that's happening. And one thing that this movie did really really well too, um, in in on that same vein of things being mysterious and unknowable, um, was that it did a great job making the score really really creepy. Um, there's no real music. The only time you get any actual music in this film is during flashbacks to when Lena and Kane were together. Everything else about this traumatic experience in the Shimmer is scored with just really creepy tones Super and subtle. like uncomfortable sounds. Yeah, and it's it's very subtle and it creates this this tension like in the back of your spine where you just feel uncomfortable even through the most innocuous scenes because it just doesn't feel right. Um, and I I, I got to give it the, the credit to the creative team on the movie for that because it it left me uncomfortable the whole time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say on top of what we've already talked about, um, I would say it's good to see that this type of sci-fi continues to get made because it's not going to be the sci-fi that makes the money out there uh, for you. So we've seen movies like Under the Skin and Ex Machina and um, and now this movie come out, which are this holistic, more humanistic approach to sci-fi, as you mentioned, Mocha, where it's not about the technical uh marvel of sci-fi it's not about exploring the unknown it's about facing the incomprehensible incomprehensible or something facing something you don't understand and having it impact your life where you understand yourself better and it's really cool to explore these concepts because it is a nice time to like kind of like self-reflect on being a human being and see what am am i really a good person i mean that could be like a simple question you could just ask yourself and just go through that if you have like this force of nature that's um affecting you in a certain way you may understand or gain different perspective about that and that's the really cool thing about how they treat the alien in this movie is that it is a force of nature it's not bad it's not good it's not there to invade or be your friend it's there to be and that's a really cool concept to actually drive through this movie as well um, I would also say, like, I, um, 
Also really liked, not on top of the music, but the sound design itself was. Created that uneasy background, unnerving moment. Um, we'll get into the ending a bit, but I would say when Lena finally confronts the alien in the lighthouse, that voice that the alien has is one of the most unique sounds I've heard, unique ways of an alien communicating since we've seen an arrival. And it's also very unnerving, but also very beautiful at the same time. And it's actually just fits what alien is and the whole definition of an alien perfectly, I think. And as we go into these uh, more alien concepts, uh, let's talk about the shimmer itself. And what you, I, what your thoughts were behind how that was as uh, a plot device or just as a special effect, uh, Guillermo? How about you start us off? You know what? I'm. I think I figure it out as as I'm listening to you guys. I think that I'm not. I wasn't horrified or like tense about it because um, I really, really like the shimmer. Like that plot device, or like that's that's technically the alien uh, invasion. I am absolutely adored it. Like I'm so sick and tired of the aliens are here, and the first thing they do is just kill us off because we suck, or um, or you know, or like in like Age of Ultron, like this, the the AI is sentient, and well, you guys suck, so I'm gonna kill you all. So. I, as I'm listening to Mike and, and Mocha and, and Brylan talk, I think I'm like, well, I think the way it, this didn't connect to me was because I actually liked it. I was like, you know what? I think this is the way to go. Like, if this happened, I'll be perfectly fine with it. I wouldn't be like, oh, my God, this is horrible. Or we need to figure out what happened. Like, fuck it. Let it be. I don't care. Just let it let it do its thing, you know? Um, shimmer me, baby. And, yeah, dude. And I think <laughs> that the shimmer timbers. was... and i think that if we ever encountered alien uh life form will be something similar to that so either a meteor comes into the to like comes down to the earth and it has a life form or we bring something for someone uh from for somewhere and then that happens um one of the other things that i really liked about the the whole uh shamer thing too was that relation between the the micro and the micro so like the two things so like what happened to the cells or what's happening also to like the mind and the bodies and the the physical aspect of everything so it was very cool to see something that should be scary because it's it's happening inside you so you can't control it also be scary outside because you have like the bear or you have you know, uh, the, 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 gator. Crazy, the gator and stuff like that. Um, a, a quick aside, the notion of the of refraction and how it applied within the shimmer was an infinitely better execution of exactly what they were trying for in Cloverfield Project. Yes. Or Paradox. Oh, really? Mm. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They like the Cloverfield Paradox did the same thing, but they did it with a fucking mallet. Whereas <laughs> this movie <laughs> did it with like an exacto knife. Well, yeah. that's that's one thing I love that like I originally thought they'd get in the shimmer and be like monsters galore or even mutated creatures. You know, you walk into any wasteland environment. Um playing through fallout again and uh and so you you go around you're like oh there's this is something i kind of know but it's now dangerous towards me 
And so the fact that they realistically only had two monsters they had to fight the whole time was awesome because you're the, you're not going to encounter plan. like a horde every single time you leave your safe zone. Um, and that was almost more unnerving because they weren't guaranteed to get attacked every time you saw them than if you just watched a monster movie where it was like, oh, yep, they're in, they're open, like, they're going to get attacked now. And also, those those mutations weren't, um, like, as you, as you put it, like, super exaggerated. They were all things that, if they were in their proper place in nature, would make sense, but out of place were really uncomfortable. The fact that that alligator had... Like, and it's like several rows of teeth that's just not normal and why is that the case um the fact that the bear was decayed um there wasn't anything else scary about the bear except for the fact that i think and i might be wrong on this but it had eyes. it had shepherd's voice and shepherd's eyes too because when it's walking by them you see like a human like eye looking around like like aggressively but the fact that the bear is decayed but still otherwise acting exactly like a like a bear would um the same thing with the deer um, the the, uh, the deer that, that Lena sees when she's by herself in the woods that have this kind of polarity of life and death where one mirror image is decayed and the other mirror image is literally sprouting um, like flowers out of its horns. Like th- that wasn't overtly scary. It wasn't something that was changed beyond belief, but it was just different in ways that just make you really uncomfortable with the fact that it's possible at all. So Mocha, apparently was the- blind. That's the reason that they were like, don't do anything because they can't see us. No, no, I agree, but it did have an eye that looked like a human eye, and you only saw it in the scene where it walks around them while they're tied down. It's mm. like it, it passes by with a like a profile view, and it has an eye on the side of its head. And I thought at the time that that was supposed to be Shepard's eye. Interesting. Um, so yeah, I, it, I took that. I mean, you could expand on like the greater philosophy that um, it is refracting all DNA into each other. And so that everything living is basically one. Like that was the point with the plants, right? That they were all the entire, they were, every single one was the same root system. And so you could expand that out to the fauna where like they had that, they were just all basically the same living organism. Um, And that so if Shepard being a living organism in that closed system would be reflected back into like the bear. So that makes sense. That was more. I thought it was more like how like lightning strikes the ground. It's not necessarily just top down. It's kind of meeting in the middle. Mm-hmm. Whereas they, when they first see like the humanoid plants, they're like, "Oh, these plants are just growing in a humanoid form because they know our DNA pattern." But we see what happens to Tessa Thompson is she becomes the plant, and the plant kind of grows out of her and takes away the flesh and bone and everything and just leaves a plant frame of her left. So, I think it's, it's a good it's mixture of like, being pretty. That's or no, the, the, I mean, that's kind of the point is like, it can go either way, no matter what. But I think it, it through like the all different uh, stories that we have, which is you know, the, the four, the four scientists, um, it can be so beautiful. Like Tessa Thompson, or even uh, the the last uh, uh, like the scientist. Uh, what, what's the name of uh, uh, Ventress? Ventress, yeah. Where she's like, okay, I'm a piece. I can just let go, and she almost like becomes part of it. Um, at least that's how I understood that. She's just literally just gave her, just take me. I, I don't like do with me whatever you want. Like I'm I'm a piece. I know what what it is. I know what I, I get it. 
Um, or it can be very frightening with, you know, what the other two characters had. And I think that that's that 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 beautifulness and that scariness of it is is so well done. But it's just it just didn't. And I think it's because now that I hear you guys talk about it, I'm like, just, I, I think I'm OK with it if it happened that way. And that's what I was like, oh, yeah, cool. Whatever. It happened. I don't. Awesome. Like, it wasn't. This... <laughs> Go ahead. No, like, it wasn't like that, like, scary to me. Um, because I'm like, I don't yeah, think this okay, was a scary movie. I, like, but like, I, I didn't feel like uneased or anything like that. I felt more. I felt more on the at peace side. Like I, if I were to go into the shimmer, I'd probably turn into like a leaf person too, or like a tree person. <laughs> Cause I probably will be more in like, well, cool. This is awesome. I'll definitely join in, you know, rather than try to fight it or something. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, I mean, the movie is something to accept rather than just say if it's good or bad or anything. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to know, like, do y'all think that the, breaks or skips in time do y'all think that's an effect of the the refraction happening like is it moving matter around at just weird paces as well or is it taking memories away from them that's a good question and i wish that they had actually um like played into that a bit more because we got a taste of it in their first when they first enter uh when like they first enter and then we immediately see them waking up in tents and she's like like we are missing, like, how long have we been here? I don't remember setting up camp. And they're like, well, we did a, re- a rations inventory and we've lost three days worth of rations. And that's, that's really, that was really interesting. Um, and it never happened again. It never happened again, as far as we know. And they also, it's also different than every other form of refraction in that all other refraction has immediate physical ramifications. Whereas this was something that involved time space. Um, it's, I mean, you can assume that because their rations were gone, that they actually did experience those three days of camping, but maybe like the very, the very reality of them doing that was displaced out of the shimmer. It's really hard to say because it was particularly unique compared to every other shimmer-related um, phenomenon that went on. I think I think it was real, just based on the uh, interrogation. Where they're like, "What did you eat?" It was four months. Right, it was a couple months, and they thought it was like a couple weeks. Um, yeah, I think it, that that aspect was they did experience it, um, and then I mean, you could make the the whole light bend argument that like if they didn't experience space and time the way that we did, maybe it's different. You know, maybe they could have eaten but just like woken up later. Um, you could also make the argument that like, hey, their DNA is getting like overridden by something um potentially that just alters alters your brain chemistry and you know memories memories are completely based on how your brain categorizes them uh it's one of the things like when you black out like say from a stressful activity or potentially drinking um you you still experience that your brain just doesn't have the categorical way of like actually processing that information um and i think that's more of what went on where like their their dna got they got you know messed up it got screwed over um and then their brains didn't have a categorical way of like saying how categorical way of saying how 
this time dilation happened rather than like a true time dilation or they just woke up four days later. Yeah. Would you say uh, that, I mean, when it comes to the shimmer, like they had a bunch of different teams come go in first that were all military and that, yeah, these are the best people you want to go like range a piece of land or something to find out what's going on here. And then you have this group of scientists, like physicists, a psychologist, um, a biologist. Uh, So do you think there's something about that makeup of a team, how they were kind of able to get to the center of the, um, well, Oscar Isaac got to the lighthouse as well. Uh, But do you think there was something unique about this team where they were kind of a bit more successful than the previous teams? Or... I th- I think that where they were gonna take us was that one of them, obviously not Lou Portman because she's the the main character, was she understood the 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 rules of the world, and she had the 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 power at, of the will to kind of bend bend that world to her to her, and that's why I, I thought that oh she's getting like different traits from different places to kind of like power through this thing because she has the will to like bend this because she understands the rules so much that she can bend the 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 world to her that's what i thought they were going to take us um and for a while i thought that that was that would have been pretty cool i just i just don't know you know like it's 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 there's so much unknown about this that i I have for it's almost like the 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 cells for every for every question there's an answer but there could be another answer and then another answer and then another answer and you can look at it from dif- different ways so I don't I don't know if 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 because they were scientists and and they definitely had a different perspective from it they were able to survive or even understand or or get to those higher meanings of what was going on um but kind of what mike was saying i i i will hope so because then it it, you know will show you that in the at the end of the day just being critical about something or being you know having that objective look at things will get you further than just being like that brunt force like through like something you know i think mocha's right and this is this is weird because it kind of counteracts like it would seem that the start of the the movie is entirely science based, and so this doesn't make any sense. But I think that literally, it's willpower to get through it. I think if you set into the shimmer with the express, like I'm going to find out what's going on, you will find out what's going on, and then you will die there. If you head into the shimmer with the express thing of like, you know, I want to see what's going on you're going to die there and you're going to not get to your goal. Whereas Lena's character was, I want to find out what's going on here. I want to come home to my husband and I want to fix him. You know, like I think that when you send a military division in there, if their express goal was see what's happening and then try and kill it, you're going to see what's happening and try and kill it. And then that's exactly what played out. Now that doesn't make any sense because willpower is not like a scientifically proven factoid. Like it's weird. Cause like willpower definitely has some 
it has some sort of intangible that is based on the chemicals coursing through our bodies. It has some sort of intangible based on the DNA in our bodies. But it's something that as of right now, we have not been able to accurately track or chart or whatever. But seemingly that X factor completely is in charge of whether a character goes in or comes out. Agreed. Um, you like you said my point exactly, Blewett. Um, and what's what's interesting to note too about Lena's character, you're right. She was the only one whose express determination was to get in, find out what happened, and then use that inf- get back to her husband to use that information to fix him. And what we found was she got in, she found out what happened, and when she was allowed to leave the Shimmer, she left irrevocably changed as a different person that still carried a bit of the seed of the Shimmer in her because the person that was out on the outside wasn't her husband anymore. It was another replicant from within the shimmer. And so now she did return to her husband and was able to help him break out of his his silence because she was like him now. And they had this new Adam and Eve thing where they can sort of transport the shimmer within them. Um, and I think that's re- that, 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 that ties into it because it's sort of a monkey paw situation where she got her wish, but it was within it was in a, a context that was not at all what she would have wanted had she been able to you know, get what she wanted from the moment she stepped into the shimmer. Yeah, absolutely. And let's uh, dive deeper into this ending, this crazy, uh, ambiguous, amorphous ending. Uh, And so the lighthouse and everything past that. What are some of your thoughts on what does that mean? So first of all, I would like to say that this was the most butthole clenching movie that I've ever seen since Dunkirk. Like, as soon as she got to the beach, they had the whole, like, lighthouse title card, which I actually kind of liked how they broke the movie up into distinct, like, here's them, here's Area X, here's the Shimmer. Like, I actually really like that dynamic. Um, once they got into it, I actually loved it. I saw this movie at 1 o'clock on a weekday, so there, there was just no one there but a couple, like, 40-year-olds that, like, you know, maybe didn't have work or something. And literally, as soon as they went back to the science facility for the last time, for the last part of the interrogation, this dude behind me just goes, wow. Like, in this quiet (laughs) little voice. Like, it was... So, it it really... Mocha, you spoke about the music earlier, where it kind of was like bleeps and bloops and little pads and stuff, you know, just to get, like, a little bit of an ambience to a scene. But the music really took over in that last 20 minutes and really just it built and built and built. And it went from. I mean, the whole thing expanded like you had CGI that was ish, probably mostly practical effects going into the last part of that movie. And then once you got to Lighthouse, it just opened up and you had that crazy iris in the middle of that chamber downstairs and the whole thing, you just didn't know any of it any of how that was going to go and like I felt clenching up the whole time and then at the end of the movie it was kind of that exhale like they do this whole hero's journey thing where, or not hero's journey uh, uh, the diagram of a story where you know you have a setting an exposition um, and then you have the climax and then you have the resolution and generally that kind of like slopes up, hits a high point, and then goes down. And I think that movie, this movie like completely did this. I really didn't care about the the last five minutes of it. It didn't matter. If it sets up a sequel, fantastic. If it doesn't, I don't care. Like 
the whole like hugging themselves with the shimmer in their eyes don't care it's all about the previous 20 minutes before that and that was freaking amazing this movie literally could have been five minutes of setup and then you know like a sponge spongebob squarepants four hours later you know and then dropped off at the lighthouse with just her there and then 20 minutes of that and it would have been a freaking spectacular movie like this could have been a 40 minute short and i would have gone through the roof for it because of that last 20 minutes the art direction the music was perfect um yeah that uh that last 20 minutes is basically i see it as an alien just asking lena can you hear me now or can you talk to me because you first have like the booming auditory synth which is its voice that makes that crazy ass unnerving sound but it's also really cool at the same time and then you have where she's actually staring into that maw the abyss of the cosmos of the infinite inside that tube and stuff it's like it's just another way it's trying to communicate it's like look at all this pretty cool stuff that might be visually overwhelming her and then you do have the mimicry and the mimicry is really cool because it's it goes on this idea of self-destruction. You have Jennifer, you have Ventress talk about the idea of self-destruction that we're all not suicidal. We're all looking, we all have just a natural tendency to destroy ourselves. And as this mimicry is happening, happening, Lena's trying to get away from it. And it's trying to get away at the same time, just doing it the same way she's doing. And eventually she gets to an object, which is the door of the lighthouse, that she starts to get crushed because of that imitation. And so that's where that self-destruction happens, only until she kind of learns how to work with and kind of accept like the mirror image happening, and that way they can actually move hands across and everything. That's the only time that she's able to actually get to that point where she gives it the thermite grenade and it actually goes off and she gets See, out. I didn't take that as uh, what is how was the phrase you you had earlier? I didn't take it as like an expansion by the alien. I took it as purely knowledge base. Like the alien was observing Lena. I mean, I think it was well, just trying to communicate in the ways oh, that you yeah, out. I don't. And it was I, just its natural tendency. So I don't think it was trying to communicate. I think it was literally like trying to figure out. Study. Yeah, it was studying rather than and mimicking rather than communicating, which I find interesting because I think I think realistically, as Guillermo maybe alluded to earlier, I think if we find life on other planets, it's going to be more towards annihilation than towards like Mars attacks. I think that if we find life, it's going to be microbial. Yeah. And it's going to be more, it's going to be different than DNA or RNA or it's something else. And so we're going to really have to, we're going to have to see how it incorporates for us. I mean, granted, if they have like, you know, CNA and that, that completely doesn't make any sense and you get exposed to CNA, how is that going to affect who you are as an individual? And, and I think 
mimicry is one of the most like powerful ways of learning a society. And I think that really speaks to how we'll encounter alien life forms rather than some little green people with alien blasters. I can't tell you how deeply disturbing the mimicking scene was for me. I was super uncomfortable the entire time. It really bothered me. And it's the notion of being unable to communicate with something. And even if you could communicate, knowing that there's no way there's very or rather there is a very low probability that it has the same um sort of concepts of reality that you even do um like the way it was the way it would mimic her movements but then when she would in in almost an exact fashion but whenever she would step away to create distance it would close in on her instead was horrifying because she couldn't talk to it she couldn't tell it to stop and she couldn't ask it why and that moment where she runs away from it and it runs after her. It's just trying to keep that that distance close, so I continue to learn. And when it was pushed up against her on the wall, and she's starting to pass out due to lack of like breath, it was horrific for me. I can't tell you how creeped out I was by just that notion of something copying me over and over and not letting me gain any space from it. Um, it made me feel super claustrophobic. And I don't. I usually don't get like that in movies. And like I got to give a shout out to this film for just. Or like, even I mean, out. we've all played the she water temple. Yeah. <laughs> Shadow Link. That's it's tough. It's real tough. It is. Two, two like nerds are nodding at me, and then Guillermo's looking at me like an idiot. You have blood just pouring down her face. That was that's always bothers me. Yeah, that cranial damage. <laughs> I don't want it to happen. But um, yeah the the end like when she gets back and she finally for some reason and. I would kind of like, I'm still trying to figure out in my head why this, why this happens or why this matters or anything. But throughout the movie, Oscar Isaac's character, as we know it as Oscar Isaac is comatose in uh, quarantine at the Southern reach. And once the shimmer disappears, he's fine. And that was a weird thing I for me. What do you think that was? I feel like it's, I mean, if we learn that he was one of these aliens or if he was some type of machine or replicant created by the aliens, who knows? Uh, but he is primarily of alien and origin that took on these human elements. And once he leaves the shimmer, it makes sense that he starts to die and everything. I don't know. But though. When the shimmer leaves, he's okay. I don't think it was him being okay when the shimmer left. I think I think he came out of his quote unquote comatose state when um, Lena or the Lena, the person that the thing that we thought was Lena, returns to the compound because she's carrying the shimmer within her. And I think that that was supposed to be supposed to be the implication. Um, Also, I think it's he was waking up. I mean, they said that he had stabilized and everything before she went into that room with him. And and we don't know that he communicated with anybody. It was more than just a coma. They were saying like his organs are failing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm with Brian on that one. It was, it was that particular part of the story was a little weird. So why, why did he almost like start to survive without it when it was gone? Um, so maybe self preservation. It's like, well, you you can't die because there's you're just the only one. I don't I like I don't know. This may be unsatisfactory for you guys, but I believe that this goes into my earlier point, which is that 
the sci-fi, the alien aspects of this film don't actually matter, and or rather, not that they don't matter, but the ex- we're never supposed to have the explanation for it because what matters is the human story within. Um, so I don't think that we we're supposed to know that. And you know, you two are exhibiting the like are sort of like a the audience representation of of the of the guy of the the scientist uh, Lomax, the guy who was played by Wong. Um, from Doctor Strange, whose name is also Wong, Benedict Wong. There we go. Like he spends the entire movie saying, like asking her questions, and she explains what happened in there, and he's like, "Well, what does that fucking mean?" And she's like, "I don't know." And he's just angry and frustrated. And I feel like that's a lot of audience members during this film too. Um, he was sort of a stand-in for them because it is frustrating, and it's you just can't know. It's something that's unknowable because they can't communicate it because it's so alien and so different. Um, I agree, though. That's that may not be that may not be satisfactory. And I think this ties in with my earlier point about how Kane was Kane's character, whether it was Kane himself or Kane the alien, were was heavily underutilized and could have added a lot more to this film if they just expanded on his significance. Yeah. Awesome. Any other thoughts about the ending of Annihilation? I I I was okay with it. Um, I think that it's uh, it, it it was. It was what the story needed, um, but kind of like what Mike was saying, I don't know if it's what we wanted out of it. Um, thinking, kind of like jotting down uh, my thoughts about it, this movie felt a little bit more like uh, Matrix, Matrix 2 and 3. So you had, you know, the Matrix 1 had all these like really deep thoughts, and it was very well executed. Like the the, the world accompanied the thoughts into it and they they played off each other and i think matrix three and two and three they were they got a little too ambitious and there was a little bit of a disconnect uh because i tried to go a little bit deeper into those ideas and it just didn't quite kind of like what i was saying they don't just don't follow one after the other um so i (laughs) I'm okay with it, and I'm okay with the uh, uh, um, ambiguous thing of it, and or the ambivalence where you just have multiple, you know, you think about it in different ways, and you come up with different solutions, or you have different thoughts about it, or 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 feelings about it. Um, I just I wanted a little bit more. I really did. Um, I'm okay with it, like I said, and you guys help me out with that. I'm okay with it. Let's create a new human being or a new hybrid or whatever. Let's let's go into the next stage. But I just wanted a little bit more. Accept it, Guillermo. Become a plant person. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What are your uh, final thoughts on Annihilation? So final thoughts. um, Oh, this is a weird one. I think... I would super recommend this movie in two weeks when it comes out on Netflix. So this is one of those weird like splits that uh, America gets a theatrical release and then Europe gets a Netflix release, which is kind of a weird way to do things. Um, so wait, so is that movie from Netflix? No, no. It's so literally like they couldn't do outside of the country like a wide release. So they're doing it on Netflix, but I don't know if it's going to be on a. Oh, sorry, Mark, Mocha, go ahead. 
So interestingly enough, um, the production company, which I believe was Paramount for this film, yeah, um, apparently twenty four. Apparently, Paramount lost faith in the film during the production of it, and sold the international release rights to Netflix, which is why we have this split because they didn't think it was going to do well partway through the production. Um, so this is sort of so yeah, we got this weird situation where Americans that want to see it in theaters have to pay for it, but the rest of the world gets it for free on well, quote unquote, for free on Netflix. Has it made any money? No. Good it's it's uh. So I looked yesterday and it was at fifty million dollars um, budget and it made back eleven. Damn. So I mean, after a couple weeks in theaters, you're probably gonna see it maybe break even, and then with Netflix, I mean, it's gonna make money. I a good deal with the Netflix thing. I bet. I bet. I mean, s- simulated, it will make maybe like three times. I bet. I bet simulated. Like it will make a hundred and fifty million dollars. As of yesterday, it's at twelve million dollars, which is not great considering its opening weekend was eleven million. So it has it's made like a, a million more since then. Um, what when was its opening weekend? I thought this was its opening weekend last week. Yeah, this past weekend. Okay, so I guess so it made a million dollars in one day. That's not that's not terrible. Yeah, I guess it's not. We'll see how it goes because it's getting pretty solid reviews. Yeah, but it's also just not doing well. It's also but getting again, crushed also, by Black Panther. Yeah. Like, like if anyone's going to go see a movie, it's going to be Black Panther. <laughs> I don't think this is, like, competing against Black Panther. I would argue, yeah. I mean, it's sci-fi. I think the, the no. crossover between no. sci-fi nerds and people that are going to watch Marvel movies is huge. I would totally recommend this movie on Netflix. I think that the beginning of this film is so unbelievably slow. Like, I felt myself reaching to my phone, but I was in a theater with other people, and that's incredibly rude, and so I, I couldn't. But, like, it's one of those things that I almost wish I could doze through the first two-thirds of this movie and then, like, really zone in, zone in for the last third of it. Um, because that's when it really got interesting. And it was. It was an incredibly interesting film, for the last third of the movie. One quick thought before I get absolutely avalanched by the three of you. Um, Natalie Portman finally showed up in a sci-fi film. Like, That's true. She, she, is, she is proven to be a great actress, but we've seen her in uh, Mars Attacks, which, my God, she acted like a little kid the whole time. Uh, well, we've seen her literally was a little kid in that movie. Well, just because age makes what Dude, don't what? call me. Do I, what? What? <laughs> what? Uh, she, we also saw her in Star Wars, which she was god awful in. Uh, she didn't have much to do with that, but she was not great in. And then we saw her in the Thor movies, which she was terrible in. Uh, I'm glad she finally showed up. It was more of an artsy sci-fi film, but like. At least she's there. If she's gonna keep on doing it, might as well like make an effort. Yeah, to me, she's definitely an actress that definitely needs the guidance of a very creative director to get a great performance out of her. Well, she needs more than just a payday. Like yeah, she took she, she took Thor and she took uh, Star Wars because it was a payday. Yeah, I just feel like if someone, if like a director went up to her and was like, "All right, we need you to walk into this scene." Hug him and walk out. She'll literally do just that, yeah. and doesn't put her own spin until you tell her to. 
But that's just I my wish, take. That's the way I've seen her films. I wish yeah. that because it doesn't have, it's not making that much money that Hollywood doesn't lose perspective or or trust in Alex Garland because he can do incredible work, you know? It's um, It's getting great critical review. That's and I, I think I, that's what's going to keep him making movies. Yeah, I wish, I wish he can, because he's so good. Like, if you guys haven't seen Sunshine or or any of the Danny Boyle movies, you should definitely see them. Um, and Blue, you should definitely watch uh, Ex Machina. Um, well, it's, but it's cool because... Sorry, go ahead. But, no, but I'm saying, like, it's cool that even if you don't get the movie or even if you don't feel like it speaks to you, it's cool that, you know, we can have four people sit down and just talk about what is it like to be... Or, what is it? What does it mean to be alive and to have a purpose? Or uh, what would it take to get to a next stage of evolution? Or or any of those things, which we don't really talk about all that much in our day to day lives. So uh, I really, really, really wish that he can continue to make movies. Yeah, we talk about farts. Yeah, <laughs> Alice Garland's definitely talking about some other stuff. <laughs> yep. <laughs> He's talking about uh, the real shit. <laughs> got it. Got it. <laughs> Speaking of real shits, uh, Moko, what are some of your final thoughts? Ooh, Is that the realist? The realist. <laughs> um, you know what? I'll keep it quick because they almost, my thoughts almost exactly mirror blue. It's, um, we need more speculative sci-fi like this. Um, it's important. Um, it influences a lot of up-and-coming filmmakers and writers, as they've seen with some of the uh, other great um, out-there sci-fi films like 2000, from the 70s and 80s, like 2001 A Space Odyssey, um, and so on. We need this stuff, but I don't think that theaters are the right place for it. Um, streaming platforms like Netflix, Hulu, even HBO Go really need to start giving this type of support and budgets that productions will get for larger theater releases in order to create original content for their platforms. Um, and I th- I really hope that, as you mentioned, um, Guillermo, that people are able to realize the quality of stories like this by people like Alex Garland and give them the resources they need um, on streaming platforms, because I think that'll help it reach a, a, a larger audience. Um, and also, just like you said, Blewett, uh, this film is a reminder that Natalie Portman is a fantastic actress when given a good role with good directing. Um, she can do amazing things, and it, I was glad to see her in a film that didn't um, upset me in some sort of way. Cool. And for my uh, lasting thoughts, um, I would say that I love it when movies just I fuck with my mind like this. And I think Alex Garland did a magnificent job of just blending visual and sound really well together to tell a complete to tell the story that he put on screen and i think i mean on purpose he wanted you to leave with confusion kind of like you experienced the shimmer for yourself while watching this movie too um and there are still things in this movie that i still think about since i saw it that uh, i'm just curious to learn more about or just try to understand even more about like what this world is. I hope it does become successful or they do give Alex Garland another shot because it is based on a trilogy of novels called the Southern Reach Trilogy by uh, Jeff Vandermeer, 
And I'm going to definitely check those out just because if a movie like this can come out of that novel, I want to definitely dive into that novel a bit more and see, do they either explain stuff in a more sci-fi way or is it continued to do this um, more holistic storytelling about uh, human self-reflection? So I'm really interested in seeing about that. Um, But as always, we must find a time to end what we're talking about. And before we leave, Mocha, where can we find more of your work? Absolutely. Um, you can find me on Twitter having existential breakdowns about tattoos that mysteriously appeared on my body at Mocha Mike LI, as the Lord intended. Unfortunately, you cannot find me as Mocha Mike um, because the person who has that name was actually replaced with some sort of alien doppelganger that refuses to communicate with me. And so that is lost to me forever. Um, but find me at Mocha Mike LI. You can also spot me on Instagram at Mocha Mike, where I post a lot of my photography work, and at medium.com at Mocha Mike, where I uh, write some longer form reviews about the movies that we talk about here. Awesome. Thank you. Guillermo, where can we find your magical work happening? I unfortunately have no real uh, ability to create anything. So I just. Don't do it. So you can't follow my work anywhere because yeah. it doesn't exist. Or you should check out his <laughs> channel on YouTube, Vsauce. Ah, uh, yeah. Was it? Was the guy that the, the face that guy was making? Michael at Vsauce. <laughs> Michael. We'll, we'll post a video. We'll post a comparison image on Twitter so that people can can vote on whether or not Guillermo looks exactly like Michael from Vsauce or just a lot like Michael from Vsauce. He's almost like a replicant of Michael from Vsauce. <laughs> He's mimicking him. Yeah, he's mimicking. Whoa. Whoa. Terrifying. Awesome. The Shredder, Mike Blewett. When are y'all going to play again? Uh, Eventually. Uh, Inevitably. Unfortunately. Uh, That's when we're going to play again. Um, So we're doing stuff and other things. You can check us out at My News Band or My News Music on most major platforms. Um... You'll probably hear about shows as they go up. We got nothing in the future because we're taking time to write some new music. Um, you can also email us at Jesse Rand is not an alien replicant that is mimicking society at uh, 163.com. Again, that is Jesse Rand is not an alien mimic who is mimicking society. And I fucked that all up uh, at 163.com. Uh, yeah. Awesome. And I am Brian in the Mouth of the South, your host for this evening. Uh, you can always find me on Twitter, um, accepting my fate and my existence, at Brylon, B-R-I-L-U-N-D. Also write many more reviews on Instagram, at I am Brylon. Uh, and soon, hopefully, I'm going to do some of these impromptu reflections and thoughts that Warren's been doing. I want to jump on that bandwagon, too. I'm um, also usually when I'm not in California, I'm the host of the Gamescast, twitch.tv slash downfront podcast. Uh, I'm not playing anything on there right now, but I think uh, Warren and Blue, um, Abbott from, from the Fear Boners are doing some mon- monster huntering from time to time there. So definitely check that out. And as always, we're the Downfront Podcast. You can find us at our website, downfrontpodcast.com, where you'll find links to all of our wonderful social media and all of our content that we create, but especially we want y'all to help us out a bit. So one buck, this price of an Arizona iced tea 
for our Patreon. We'd love to have y'all as subscribers and just help us continue to bring great content to y'all. And with that, we've been the Downfront Podcast and have a great night. Bye. 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 Aliens are real. No. Oh my God. <laughs>